Koto, and thank you very much for tuning in to another episode of In the Sheds on Code with Kingy. Uh, whereas you can tell by my smile, um, well, you probably can't tell because you're listening to this, but I'm joined by the latest All Black Centurion and the most capped Highlander ever in Aaron Smith. First of all, bro, very grateful for your time. Um, but yeah, how's things been going for you? Kia ora, bro. Um, it's great to jump on the pod, share some, uh, share some love and connect with people. And obviously in lockdown, it's pretty tough. So it's great to be here and um, thank you for the kind words, and I look forward to seeing what magic we can get out today. 100, bro. And as I just touched on, obviously, we're in lockdown at the moment. We had a brief chat off here, but, you know, like, what's that been like for you this past week? I know you've just come off a pretty hectic campaign with the All Blacks boys getting the bledders away for another year, and in that time, you know, like I mentioned, you've clocked up 100 tests, and you managed to captain the team, you know, back at Forsyth Bar. So what's, like, this year been like for you leading up to this point? I guess the year was running pretty smoothly until... Uh, Allah about 10, 10 days ago so it was great to get home and get a break it's been a busy it was a busy um, obviously the the July series with the Tongans and then the Fijian games which were out the gate physical which was probably one of the more physical couple of games I'd ever played in and then um, obviously with the year about being three games out from 100 was sort of the real goal for the year was play really well for the Highlanders try to be selective for the All Blacks and um and, and try and knock that 100 games out and it was really special to be able to do that very blessed that it was on such a big stage too you know like the pressure of that was really cool and exciting Bledisloe's and New Zealand but with lockdowns happening and stuff it's actually just really I'm really grateful that it, I, I was able to able to achieve it but it was sort of a goal I was hoping to nail off last year but with you know only five or six games being played in the whole year with our usual test calendar being you know, 14 to 12 games. Mathematically, I was hoping to get it last year. And obviously coming off the 2019 World Cup, I was a little scared about being able to get those sort of 12 to 13 games without, you know, um, didn't want to get it like kicking and screaming or kind of get it as like a, a gift for my longevity. So, you know, after 2019, then that sort of uh, kind of limped into... 2020 super and then lockdown happened I was like right I got a year to go on this contract I want to get these 100 games it was a real turning point I think and it really unlocked something in me around where I could take my rugby and I thought it was sort of done and I sort of thought I'd reached all my peaks and my whatever I could do and then lockdown I just sort of got the body in the best shape ever and and really attacked 2020 super uh, Aotearoa and then played all right for the All Blacks. And then, you know, like I said, it just sort of reinvigorated me around like, God, there's, I can still improve. There's still things for me to chase. And yeah, I think going into last year's off season and coming into this year was really, really motivated by trying to, you know, beat 2020 and, um, and, and keep building on what I'd kind of unlocked through lockdown this time last time. I mean, yeah, so it's obviously been like a big, what past like 24 months off the back of that last world cup but do you think that now like being in lockdown or i'm not even sure if you've done it now like you have you like really reflected on like i've played 100 games for the all blacks because read i read all the stuff to do with you boys and i've listened to a lot of your podcasts and you mentioned the fact that you know like you're just a small little maori boy from fielding 
and you never thought you'd be able to get this far, but then to join such an elite group, has that sunk in yet? Oh, not really. I think yeah, it's just a crazy, it's a crazy kind of thing to think about because you, you're stuck in such a bubble of week to week, game to game. And parts of my career, I, I used to think too far ahead and uh, trip up, you know, like you'd get a bit, you'd think this game wasn't that important and then you'd save it and that. But now I'm really just dialed in on process week to week. Um, you know, I'm stuck in that little limbo bit at the moment about what's going on. But as we all are, we're sort of all chucked in this washing machine at the moment. But reflecting on that, I didn't ever think it was possible, but I did not believe it could happen either. So it's a real weird, you don't want to say like, oh, I never, ever, for five or six years, it was all I was sort of, the only way to get to 100 games was to be consistent playing good footy, you know. And if I was able to do that, then I could maybe get here. And then, yeah, I've sort of been trying to think in this lockdown around what's the next goal because that was the main staple in my goal setting and my vision around what I wanted to achieve and I've, and I've been able to do that. But I think a lot of it still comes down to a lot of things in my life that have come from, say, the last three or four years around changing my mindset, getting married, having a son, got another son on the way, my priorities in life, but it's actually helped me dial into... What, what's most important and I want to be a good husband and father first and then I want to be you know a really good rugby player and the older you get the more you learn the more experiences you've been through the um, learning to prepare your body to perform at a high level and then yeah just I really I have more fun playing now than I used to I used to get so wound up and little things off the ball and that but now I'm just like I love playing for the teams I play for um, I love having my family and that there, sharing special moments of Luca on the field or at Captain's Run. And yeah, I've got nothing to complain about. You mentioned like your family there and how important that is for a lot of you boys um, in those high performance environments. And that was going to be one of my questions towards the tail end of this. But from my perspective, it's almost like you've aged like a fine wine, bro. Like you're almost playing your best footy now. And of course, that comes with experience. But it's almost like you've had more pressure put on yourself. Well, there's more external pressure given all of your experience and, you know, the, the fact that you're playing for not just yourself and your family, but now like your own little family. Do you, do you feel that pressure? Like, or has that all that stuff like off the field actually made the on-field process more enjoyable or easier to flow through? Because maybe you're not so much worrying about rugby, rugby, rugby. You're actually having to like, yep, rugby's like part of my life. But then when I leave the training paddock or when I leave the facilities, I'm a dad. I'm a husband. Yeah, it's it's hard, bro. Because I like, yeah, I'm a. I thrive on pressure. I thrive on high, high expectations and and high consequences. You know, I love that. And that's something that, you know, I take pressure. It's 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 a gift, and you've got to use it as fuel. And and the pressure, I I see it different. So having a family and that, like looking after Luca all day, is harder than training. I tell you, he takes it out of me. So. <laughs> When, when Tegan's stuck with him for a couple of days and that, I respect I respect her so much because, man, he he my boy is a goer. He's a mini, mini me and mini Tegan and he can go all day and he runs you into the ground and he'll go till he falls asleep. So I find the rugby side easy, but I think that I find the pressure, the pressure is always the ones I put on myself. So, you know, I've had great battles in my time and still do around you know, TJ, Tawara Kabalo, guys like that that keep me hungry to try and be better, you know, and 
TJR a lot, a lot too in the last few years around, you know, I always think well, he'd be training right now or what's he doing? And you just don't want to ever stop. And Webby as well, we're all going hard and we're all big influencers in our super teams. And it's just sort of like that constant pressure of um, wanting to get better, but, you know, wanting to compete against the best. And and then obviously on the world stage with Faf de Klerk and Connor Murray, Will Guinea, um, Nick White, you know, all these guys, Ben Youngs, these guys you get to compete against in test rugby. It's such an awesome challenge. And at halfback, you can have massive influence in a little way. People may not see it, but you notice that. And you notice in the big games that it falls on those positions a lot big in the big moments. And, you know, if you saw what Faf did at the World Cup, like he was outstanding and his box kicking, his impacts in the game. Connor Murray, you know, Ali Price, Ben Young's like I love watching them and that, but I think I don't see pressure as a as the like outside noise. It's as I've got older, I've just embraced it. If they're um, talking good or bad about you, cool. Well, it's for a reason. When you're younger, you if someone talks bad about you, you take it as an attack. But usually, there's some truth behind it. They ain't just making it up. If you're playing bad, you're playing bad, and if you're playing good, well, they're probably going to talk good about you. So um, I just try to make it more that, but Obviously, that's with wisdom, with age, and I'm not old, but I'm old as a rugby player, and um, I've been through a lot. And has that always been the way for you, like that embracement of the pressure, or is it something that you've become accustomed to or something that's been normalised with being in those high-pressure environments? I think um, talking with my old man a little bit after after my 100th or a couple of records, sort of like the Highlanders one, and that was, he sort of always said I just sort of enjoyed like the pressure of something. So whether we were playing in the backyard and kicking at a pole or passing or something, like he'd be like, you've got to hit three out of five or something. And he, he reckoned it was just sort of always there in me, that competitiveness or that he said he just used to just switch on. Like if it counted for something, then like I'll, if it was for real or for consequences, I really enjoyed that. And I think, you know, playing cricket and playing touch and basketball and stuff as I was growing up, just, loving that and not being scared of the moment. I think it's something I've always loved is bigger the moment when you know your hands are shaking a bit, when you can feel it, the butterflies, that's where you want to be. And I thrive off that. Like you train your ass off to get in that moment, to get in the Bledisloe, to get in that game, to get in the finals, to get in a big moment, to be the man. And I think that's the, that's why I train hard. And that's what I want to chase is those big moments. And when everyone's freaking out, you're like, sweet this is what's next. And and then I wasn't always like that for sure, but that's what I chase now as an older athlete is that moment of when my team needs me the most, I can be depended on and trusted. Finding comfort in the uncomfortable. Love it, bro. Love and, and you talk about like your old man and the influence that he's had on you and you've obviously chopped it up with him probably after all of your tests. So was he the big reason why you got into footy and like what was life like growing up as a, as a youngster in fielding? Well, mum and dad were great. They were just... You know, my mum was a teacher. My dad was a, um, he owned like a second-hand store and had multiple jobs, but just good Kiwi people. And uh, my mum's Māori and my Māori side's all from the Hawke's Bay. And then my dad's Pākehā from Fielding. So mum met my dad at Tikal and um, yeah, and then I came along and and we grew up in Fielding. And hey, it's just a small little humble town. And I had like a great upbringing, you know, 
heaps of friends just on the block in the corner and we just hung out, played rugby on our bikes all day. Um, but fielding's good. Like, you know, everyone's, everyone watches out for everyone. So like if you're a down one end of town or something and you're not doing things, your mum, one of your friends will call their mum, like your son's down here, come get him or, but yeah, it's just, it's a safe town and I really enjoyed growing up there. But my mum and dad were great for my sport. My mum's a big positive talk person and always told me to dream big and you can, everything, whatever's meant to be, it's up to me and sort of stuff. And then my dad just, he took me to everything he did. So he played a lot of social cricket, rugby. So I played like twilight cricket when I was like nine or 10 with them. And, you know, that kind of vibe of the club rooms. He played, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, like president's rugby and that when I was there and I was the ball boy and in the changing room. And I sort of, not saying that made me want to be a pro rugby player, but the camaraderie of sport I fell in love with was created happiness for my dad through, you know, beers and that. But more of that was just that he took me everywhere with him in the ute and we just I went I was there on the sidelines wanting to play wanting to get in and and just drove me to be that and harnessing my energy that was more what my old man said was just like god I gotta take you to the park to run you tired and you know we were goal kicking or passing or whatever it was but I sort of got through them the values I'd learn as an older man now and a and a, and a father is you know hard work mum and dad would work all day and come home and my old man would need kind of 10 minutes to just, you know, he'd work at the mill till five and then I'd be waiting there and come on, dad, let's go. Let's play some, let's play passes and can you catch some balls? And he'd just like, get me a beer, mate. And I'm, I'll, I'll be there. And, you know, just little things like that and hard work, belief from my mum, like just believe in yourself. And they were just, then my dad was very similar in the sense of just, you know, having fun with it. And like, I, I seem I'm, I am very serious, but um, I like got a like a bit of humor around sort of certain things. I wouldn't say I'm funny, but I love combativeness. I love being cheeky. I love the stuff. And I think the old man saw that in me and I wasn't going to be ever very big. So he kind of pushed me towards halfback pretty early. And then we just sort of, well, yeah, as you do in New Zealand, we'd watch, you know, the Hurricanes play. I'd watch the the one or two team and the senior A's at Fielding Yellows was just like, our they were the god sense in fielding, you know, so. And to be able to play for Yellows eventually, and like my dad would still say, one of his proudest days was, you know, seeing me play for seniors, you know, and I was like 18 and going all right. And, you know, I remember that, like, that was, I thought, I thought that was sort of <laughs> at the time of making the seniors and running out on Johnson Park, yellow and black hoops, just like, yo. Crazy, bro. Humble beginnings, humble beginnings. Another thing I want to touch on, bro, was a lot of you boys seem to come from almost small towns and you look at the Barrett brothers, um, you know, Sam Whitelock's from your area and growing up in a small town and compared to someone like me, who's an urban kid comes from a big city. Do you feel like that doesn't give you an advantage, but you're almost a step ahead because you don't have as many distractions as what maybe some of the city slickers do. And so that's why, you know, you pass the rugby ball against the wheelie bin or whatever else, because I don't know, otherwise you were getting into trouble. Yeah, it's a, a, you know, you look around it, all the teams and like, you know, a lot of the great players have that, but I don't think it's the only, only way to greatness. Mm. You've got to come from that. It's just, I think you're, you're a creature of your environment and, you know, fielding and and growing up there was just like hanging out with your mates, competing at everything, whether it was cards, you know, BMX biking, whatever. I think the, what you learn around, you know, we didn't have much, so it was around just entertaining yourself. But 
in those smaller towns, I feel like you, um, you know, you play, I played my best, my best men at my wedding, Mitchell and Jimmy, we played rugby from like five till we were 20, you know, like together, like all your mates you come through with, you just sort of in that little melting pot. But I think, yeah, I wouldn't say it's just the small towns, but it's funny how a lot of our, our sports stars in New Zealand are from rural, small mm-hmm. Kiwi towns. And, you know, you're just a, you're the bigger fish in a small pond, but I think it propels you to go and you have that chip on your shoulder. Like when I was younger playing like Wellington, for instance, or they had all the gears, bro. They had the best track suits. They had like, you know, you kind of have that chip. One or two would have like good track suits, but they weren't brand new Canterbury. <laughs> you remember back then like Canterbury track pants were the uh. Uh, we had whatever brand, plan up color, green or white, tracksuit. <laughs> you know, just like that kind of vibe of like, we're not good enough, but we had like Aaron Crude and Kurt Baker, Andre Taylor, like really good schoolboy players, Sam Whitelock. We had a wicked team, but then like, you mm-hmm. know, we had that chip because you're the, you're the minnows, you know, like even Hawks Bay had heaps of gears and Taranaki and we were like the other guys. So that kind of, I think through that rural and small towns and, you know, that kind of vibe happens and that kind of builds that chip that, oh, I probably shouldn't make it. I didn't go to the right school, but I'm still getting picked and I'm getting picked because my rugby's good enough, not because I went to Palmerston North Boys High or I went to, well, it's a college or Hastings Boys, Napier Boys, you know, I made my way through, you know, a normal school and I, I like that with the Coed Cup and all that and stuff now with first things like, and people on TV, like there's more exposure to that. People watch those games, mate. And kids are getting picked up from multiple places these days. Well, that seems to be the attitude for a lot of young athletes. Um, I've got a couple of mates who have younger brothers and know of other guys that are in first of things at the moment. And they talk about, or even the parents talk about sending their kids to these bigger schools because you know, they're on tally that puts them in the eyes of not only the rugby, but like the rugby league selectors. So was that sort of stuff around when you were at high school? And like, was there ever the opportunity? I know with you being a fielding boy and being Māori, you know, was Hatapaura ever on the cards? Did you ever think about going and boarding at Palmy Boys? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think it wasn't around back then. For me, my um, my koro and uncle went to Teoti. So I was actually supposed to go to Teoti. And I was very... Uh, so I was plastic, mouldy, hard and fielding. And mum, we did, I did mouldy in that. And I was um, poor hunger till I was like six or seven. And then I jumped to North Street, a normal school, and I really struggled. So I knew everything in mouldy. And then I came into those classes and I was like, I was way behind day. Eh? So I, my kind of early primary school years were pretty tough. Like I was picked on for not being able to read or spell correctly, but it was pretty tough. And, you know, I, I really... I, I used to really, I hated mum for make, like I went to Māori school, Kohanga, and then I went to this Māori school in Fielding, and then I was like chucked into a normal school and I was dumb. And that's how I was judged, you know. I was this dumb Māori boy, and I was like, God, and I, and I thought I was, bro. I was like, I couldn't spell, I couldn't spell anything in English, I couldn't read anything. I really struggled with that. And then, you know, it was one of those things. And then because of that, I was too scared to connect with my Māori again you know so when mum and dad were talking about sending me to Teoti and and then I think a blessing in disguise was Teoti wasn't in a very good place at the time they only had about 100 200 to 150 students 
and my grandma and that were on the board and they were kind of trying to save the school and it just didn't seem stable enough for me to go. So I would have loved to have seen if it was in a good place about going there because their rugby history as well is deep, you know, pretty yeah. through they got multiple. And I think I would have really enjoyed it. And I think it would have probably put me out of my comfort zone if it was in a better place. But yeah, I went to go look at Palmy Boys and they, they had this vibe to me that was like, you come here to be one of us. We don't go get you. And I, I, was, I didn't play any rep teams or anything then. I was a rep cricketer at the time. But like that vibe I said to mum and dad was like, they're like, you come here and do it our way. Where Fielding was like, you can be you. Um, you, can, you can achieve what you want through the school. And all my mates went to Fielding. So me and my five or six close friends went to Palmy Boys Open Day and like I think I would have really thrived at Palmy Boys but at the time and when I was intermediate and it was more about where my mates were going and we all sat around and I remember talking to one teacher and I was like he's like yeah that you you got to cut your hair mate when you come here you got to do this and I just didn't like the vibe and fielding just suited me I you know I'd been at co-eds um it just seemed exciting. My mum was working at the school at the time, so she knew that it was a good school. And um, I really wanted to go to Palmy Boys, but the vibe I got there was, yeah, not 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 what I what suited me in my schooling. And then the travel factor it would have been a bus every day. Just a couple of things stacked up, and then I chose Fielding, and it was the best best thing for me. And I got lucky; I came through in a really rich era at Fielding. I was just going to say, bro, like not to cut off there, but, um, you know, reaching back to the, the point about uh, Kohanga Reo and, you know, the, the possibility of you going to an all-boys Māori boarding school. It's sort of unfortunate the way that, I guess, those schools have sort of slowly declined and even the realities of like someone like yourself who goes through Kohanga and then gets thrown into a, a Western school, you know, a white world. Yep. And the realities well, totally of that. It's totally different. Like it was, we were, you know, kind of cares everything was to i was like full full inclusive and then i came to this i came to the school and i was like what what's going on here we're you know abc and then we're not singing songs we're not singing writers we're not yeah it was just different bro and i, I like like i said i was like yeah i still got scars from like being bullied and that from that age and i always remembered when i was coming through like i always tell like even now i'll be like anyone bullying people for being dumb like when boys get up to read in front of our team and that i'm always like oh cut it like respect them they're speaking they're trying cut it like i will i don't take that at all as a leader and i want our boys and i say that if you want to stand up and say something and if you're different language and you know we've got Samoan and tongan boys Mm -hmm. who aren't english ain't their first language you know so they know what they're trying to say, but just give them a break. And rugby can be mean like that, but in our environment, the landers we create is say it how you want to say it. We know you know how to do it. And 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 we we really empower that. And 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 I think from my early my early experiences with bullying and being laughed at and getting up and trying to read and stuttering and bro, I was scarred and I was like, I ain't gonna mm. stand for that again. I think people will be surprised at how what might seem like such a small thing from the outside, like how impactful that can be and how influential that can be for someone moving forward. But is that sort of stuff cross your mind? You know, ultimately you seem like a dad who would let his boy do whatever they want to do, but 
would you want to push them more towards the Māori schooling? Um, it's something I've been talking with Tegan about recently around that. I think I need to connect on my own journey first, like reconnect with it. It sounds like, you know, through the schooling and they, even from his kindies, like he, he knows that he can count to five in Māori. Like he's just singing songs and I'm like blown away by the inclusiveness they do at kindy and school now. Mm. But um, yeah, it's definitely something I want to think about doing. But yeah, it's just really hard with rugby and the, the level I put into rugby, it's quite hard to, I've, I've tried a couple of times already around learning te reo and, but yeah, it's something I'll really want to do, but um, yeah, it's just tough. Yeah, bro. The main thing is the main thing at the moment, but then going back to your fielding days, bro, and you talked about how that just suited you and you talked about having a good group of mates and again, having listened to some of the previous podcasts, you talked about the influence of the white locks old man and what, what what made that relationship so special? And was he like the first coach to really believe in you? You know, you've mentioned the fact that you never played in any rep teams or anything like that, but how did fielding shape what's now 100 cap all black Aaron Smith? Well, it was Braden Wylock and a, a guy called Mr. Francis. They're our two coaches. And I'm also, I'm also Braden as well, because Braden got, he got like Mike Cron and Mick DeKick, Mick Byrne, and to do skill sessions with us. And I was like 15 learning from the All Blacks skills coach how to pass and box kick. Um, he chased high performance. He probably rattled a few feathers about fielding needs to get this, come look at these boys. But he was pushing what he knew, mate. He knew his boy was going to be an All Black. Like, he knew that. And these coaches came to see, is he right? And they were right. Sam's played 125 tests. Mm. He's a freak. He's won everything. But... You know, I just, from those experiences and, like, things I take from fielding, like, Mr. Francis was a small head, uh, hostel headmaster, but we had, like, Adidas kit, like, a special thing having Addy kit. Like, we had suits. We looked like we were uh, private school. He was all about that. We're going to look good. We're going to look like a team. We're going to act like a team. We have read books. We walk up to the game in a suit. We leave in a suit all these things you learn at a young age that preparing you, if you, if your boots are dirty, you don't get to play all these things. You're like, Oh, that's a bit like do this, do that. But like, I don't, I clean my boots for training. Like these things instilled in me, Mr. Francis was this little, not a very good looking man, but he had a gold <laughs> chain. He had a watch, he had rings. He oozed, he oozed it. And he was like yeah. this little guy just telling everyone what to do. And they did it. And I looked at him like, wow. And he believed in me. And he was like, you know, big factor. And like, look good, feel good, and you can play good. Things like that as a young man, you're like, cool. And he was all about like, boys, do your hair, get haircuts, set goals. We're going to look good. Like, and like, when you're 15, like, that's the main thing, right? Like, mm. you want to be cool, 16, 17. Like, and, and we did, man. We had like full mint Adidas, Adidas. Like, I looked at my jersey just, the other day it's cool and you know like first of thing from fielding have etiquette like it was full on and um we were just lucky i was lucky like i said i came through and they chucked me in the first thing when i was fifth form you know and i remember trialing for the first thing i didn't play i played the last 10 minutes of the trial at halfback and they had this um guy aaron haynes aaron as well six former he was like sharing like 800 sheep on the weekend like he was fit and I'm this little fella just like, oh, yeah. 
and uh, came on the last 10 minutes and um, yeah, I must have been all right. And they picked me over him and I was like 15 and Aaron Haynes was gutted and he's like, he looked like he's a sheriff, bro, like full on fit sheriff, yeah. boy from Thai Happy, like bloody could run to bloody Wellington and back. He, he could do whatever, <laughs> but he just probably couldn't pass the ball and kick it as well as I could. And yeah, and like my fifth, my fifth form year was, you know, captain by George Wallock, Nick Croswell, Chris Walker, Sam Wallock, and all these guys. And we we beat, um, we went unbeaten until we lost to Hastings boys in the um, top eight. So we beat Hastings boys in the um, preseason, my first game, which was crazy. They had Hicka Elliott and Albie Matheson, um, James Rosenberg, a couple of throwback names. But then we went like unbeaten. Wesley College came down, we beat them, and they ended up winning the comp draw with Christchurch. And like, you know, we played like it was crazy. And that was my fifth for me. And I was like, wow, this is pretty mean. And I remember we um, beat Wellington College in fielding. Um, Dane Coles was playing for Wellington College, and all their buses turned up in the black and yellow. And they came up to fielding and had a, we had a mud pit. And um, I'm pretty sure we, we were losing like 17 5 at halftime. We got like a rolling more try from like halfway. Like we were like, we're not letting these backs have it at all now. <laughs> uh, we got like a rolling more try, kicked a penalty, and then one of our centers like got this try from hell, like one of the best tries I've ever seen. <laughs> and we won. And then we went and played Hastings up there, and we got we got we got smoked. But uh, yeah, it was it was it was a dream. And my next two years were a bit of a struggle, but you know, it was it was like I said, just what the lessons I learned from that school and those coaches and like it was not like a high performance environment but the things about having a red book or a book setting goals we'd read our goals to each other on friday nights as we got our jerseys we had all these little things you know and we had new new visions every year like raise the bar was one year um, better than before was the next like he was like now i look back he was like a bill belichick of <laughs> high school but we like we had like Hostel battler kids and like moldy boys in the backs. Like we were like that. That's how our team was. We had like all the moldies and the outcasts from Wanganui and Laverne and that come to fielding as backs. So we were all the backs, all the all the show ponies and the try scorers. And then we had this burly forward pack that were like men, men, like straight up men off the off the off the farm. And then you add in a few all black boys like the White Locks. Like they were like freaks. And man, they were men amongst boys. And like I said. You don't score them more from halfway by just mucking around. Like it was a genuine weapon. Uh, see, it's it's awesome. Like when I hear you boys talk about like how fondly you remember your first fifteen days, and I guess for someone like yourself who make that jump like relatively quickly, you know, making the turbos and whatever other provincial teams, and then get into where they get. But you know, first fifteen rugby is still like the most special because you're not playing for money and you're not playing for I don't know the kudos of everybody else. Like it's just pure enjoyment you get it a bit at the club level but I feel like it's different you know especially someone like me coming from I went to Silverstream bro in Wellington and I'm playing club rugby for Wainui now and I love my boys at Wainui but you're not with them every day and you're not in the classes and you're not like making fun of each other and sometimes there's age gaps which make things even more difficult so yeah it's it's crack up to hear that you how fondly you remember like beating Wellington College and how big that would have been for you and your boys but at that time, you know, like making the first 15 and fifth form, was it around that period or towards the back end of that year that you were like, okay, maybe I want to try and give rugby a crack or 
when did that whole no every kid grows up wanting to be an all black but when did it become like a reality or something that you thought could like feasibly happen i think it was more i was just riding the wave of playing rugby having fun with my mates i played cricket all summer for fielding and um it was cool you know like but seven form i i made hurricane schools i missed the nz schools rightly too because i wasn't i wasn't that good but Dave Rennie came and saw me after a game we played uh, um, Rescue and he said hey would you want to hang around next year for Academy and I was like pretty shocked this is Dave Rennie Turbos coach yeah like I would love that and um, yeah and then that sort of started the convos no other unions were chasing me or anything like I had no other convos about it I was just leaving school going to become a hairdresser and I was going to play club rugby you know like I was I wasn't kind of projecting anything. It's not like I was touted out of high school to be the next. I wasn't anything really. I was, you know, pretty pumped about joining the first thing. We'd, we bombed out of top 16. We couldn't make it. So my year was pretty much <laughs> done in October because I wasn't staying around for exams in November. Uh, I, wasn't, uh, I wasn't chasing uh university entrance or anything. I was done. Once first thing season was done, but I was out. So I was... I was, uh, yeah, I wasn't hanging at school. So I, I left school once rugby was done pretty much. And I went to the senior formal and came to the last day of school and that. But yeah, once once it was done, it was done in my mind. But yeah, so Dave Rennie asked me sort of November, like we start our preseason training. Do you want to come and join? And I was like, yeah, hell yeah. And then uh, I signed a contract, my first contract. I was like, oh yeah, whatever. And um <laughs> That was that was sort of it, really. That was when I met my agent at the moment, Warren Alcock. Uh, it was sort of, I got introduced to him from Nick Croswell, and Warren had a lot of big dogs, and I sort of was like, well, how is, why are you talking to me? And then that first year out of school was when it really took off for me, um, to be honest. So what happened there? Well, I had a real good preseason with um, with the one or two so i was like 70 kgs got my skin pods done the first time they were like 99 i was like yeah and they're like and i was like is that good and they're like no <laughs> like, oh well, what, what's a good score and then like at the time it was this guy aaron good his skin pod was like 43 or something like it was out the gate he was like a rip muscle man but i was like oh okay well cool well, we've got a bit of work to do then and, <laughs> I didn't know, man. I was just like, okay, cool. So this is like November. So like all the way to sort of March, I'd sort of just, I started training properly. You know, I was doing weights. I was doing fitness every day. I was, I was in the academy. We were gym in the morning, skills at night or fitness. And it was cool. And I was doing that for club rugby. And then when I got to club season, like it kind of all clicked in a sense that I knew I needed to start. I didn't really enjoy tackling at school. And I'd always sort of been told by coaches, if you embrace the physical side then your attack will come through even more so I could always play ball on attack but I couldn't uh I didn't want a bar on D and then that club season got a bit stronger I was about 75 kgs put on about five kgs of muscle and that and that club season yeah I just I really I had a I had a really good yellows team but man we just destroyed it me and uh, me and my two flatmates Mitchell Croswell and Shane Schuster we like played field and yellows Crosby was Nick Croswell was coming back from the Hurricanes, and we were just like, we just want to be like him. And yeah, like I carved up club, like it, I didn't find it hard at all. Straight out of school, I was quite scared. 
Um, I got steamrolled in the ruck the old time by old guys, but I had a couple of burly boards that looked after me, you know, so took a couple of hidings from the teams, but that's how they had to catch me. And that was sort of my theory around it. And, you know, it was, it was sort of like, yeah, we played this derby game. My club splits a field, We've got field and old boys on one side and field and yellows. And, and, and it's funny. Yeah. Uh, old boys is more the moldy club, but my dad played for yellows. So I grew mm-hmm. up following field and yellows and you had all these, this old lady used to walk up and down and you're wearing the wrong colors. You're <laughs> fine for your culture. And I'm like, my family played for yellows. Like, you know, it was, I, I grew up like, like the rivalry was real. And, I played mm-hmm. that derby game and got a couple of tries and we won And the first time we'd won derby day. And that was sort of cemented me as like, holy, this would be quite cool. And Dave Rennie started talking to me a lot more. We started looking at clips together. Jason O'Halloran was there. Like it, it really came from that. And then end of the year, I bloody got a hernia and I was out for the whole rep season under 19. So I um, missed the 19s trials and, yeah, just really shot me in the shot me in the leg. So that was your first real taste of a setback, and how'd you bounce yep. back? Uh, I bounced back okay. I I went to the I went to the 19s trials with a month of training after my rehab of my um, hernia. So I turned up the unfit. I couldn't really play, but it was like my I just had they said have a crack, and they were all they'd had six months together trials and that, and they were just another level. I played mm-hmm. all right, but I didn't play like I kind of had at the start of the year so going into 2008 I was like I'm going all guns blazing to go to Wales in June with the 20s so all of sort of November December again I went hard to get my body in a shape I got up to about 80 kgs I was running stairs and that in the morning and just really got with the turbos train I was like you've got to get me on this 20s team what is it going to take and yes I had Dave Rennie there but you know uh, at Manor Two, who was the 20s coach as well. But when I got to the trial, I was like ready to, you know, make this team. And there were two guys there beat me at NZ schools and NZ 19s that I was like, not this time. And I'm getting in this team. And I had a real good trial and I was really grateful for that. And yeah, I didn't have to go home in the um, bus because they used to pick the team, bro. They, they tell you to all meet down at the, the team room, put your bags by the bus and they name the team. And if you don't make the team, you get your bag, get on the bus, and leave straight away. So in 20, yeah, 2007, the 19th trip, they read the team out. If your name wasn't called, stand up now, please get on the bus. It was like, so that was like, and then when we got on the bus, I remember looking down and they were all like, all just made the 19th thing, you know, and they were fizzed. And I remember watching them going, I'm not feeling that again. And like, yeah, I remember looking straight at the other halfback. I remember very clearly, I won't say the names, but not next year, you know, and I knew next year was a 20s, the first ever 20s. And yeah, I, I used that as fuel. I remember going on the airport and all the other guys like, ah, who cares? And I cared. And and, and it really flipped a switch in me because mm-hmm. that was the sort of not injury setback, but that was the first sort of proper where you know like schools i didn't feel like i could i could play nz schools you know people were saying maybe I, I hardly carved up at all with hurricanes like we got dominated in that tournament by northern a and northern b and southern so we only won one game and 
I knew that. That was a sort of writing on the wall. And then, but that 19s and 19s, I knew if I wasn't injured, I would have had a good crack. But missing 19s really propelled what came next. All right, team. So that's a wrap on part one of my podcast with Aaron Smith. I've decided to bake it up into three different bits because of how long we actually talked for. I'm again, very grateful for your time, Aaron. But if you guys are still hungry for some other rugby content, I do please urge you to go back and look at some of my older episodes where I've talked to both current and former All Blacks as well as some others around the game. Again, appreciate you all for tuning in and I can't wait for you guys to hear what Aaron had to say next, next week.